Blog Talk Radio. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. everybody this is brother frank with the remnant call glad to be here on another episode thank you for tuning in you probably saw the message tonight holy war yes it's going to be serious uh this is a message for the remnant this is a message for those who believe that jesus yeshua is coming soon um for those of us who believe that there are still things to be fulfilled and times will get tough the good news is, is that the Lord has this all under control. Um, but if you didn't hear last week's program with Brother Benjamin, um, you've got to hear it. It was an excellent show on the Days of Ease. Um, you, you Just tune in. Go check it out in the Remnant Call. Uh, you can go to YouTube. Just type in Remnant Call uh, Radio. You'll see it will come right up. and uh, Or you can go to our Facebook page. Uh, if you're there, please give us a like and subscribe. Uh, we really do appreciate it as we try to expand um, you know, this outcry that we have in these last days so that people know that you know, at the end of time, you know what? We did the best we could do. And we have to leave it up to the Lord to do the rest. But we have to open our mouths and proclaim that the Lord is coming again, and it's going to be soon. So let's open this with a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Yeshua, I thank you so much for the blessings that you give and ask that you would bless this show tonight, that it would stir us, Lord, to know and understand the absolute seriousness of the time that we live in. Lord, this is not a, an hour that we can play around and mess around with our relationship with God. It is the time that we must be about our Father's business. I ask this in Yeshua's powerful name, Lord. Amen. Well, I, like I told you, the message tonight, holy war. I know that there's a lot of times we talk about things that are warnings of what's coming, um, information, things like that. But tonight I want to deal with some information that deals with you and your soul and, and this, this hour that we live in. Uh, I've mentioned before, it's, the more radical the title I can make, it seems like the more hits you get uh, on YouTube. So if it looks like something, you know, if someone posts new information about whatever or this, that, or the other, then people listen. But rarely do they want to listen when it deals with something that, that talks to the believer's soul directly. Well, tonight we're going to talk about this in Holy War, and you, you're not going to want to miss because I believe this is very important to the hour that we're living in and the dangerousness that goes along with complacency and doing nothing. I want to share with you a story. I will tell you a secret, Mr. Booth had said. God has had all that there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I. 
even with greater opportunities. But from this day, I got the poor of London on my heart and caught the vision of what Jesus Christ could do with me and them. On that day, I made up my mind that God should have all of William Booth there was. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army, it is because God has had all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life said Mr. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. The power of what God can do when just one person sets apart themselves to serve the living God with a fiery passion for the lost. Now, you can have your ideas about the Salvation Army today. I don't care what you think. But the founder of that was a man of God who had a sincere desire to reach the lost. There's a famous story of him taking his son, Brandon, into... A, a tavern, and his son was confused why his father would take him into such a place. And he remember his father pointed out, he said, you see these people? He said, those are the ones I want you to live for. They're the ones that he wanted him to bring to Christ. Holy war. Turn with me if you got your Bible, and you should, or something, you can find it quickly. And that's Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3, and we're going to begin in the, in the book of Joshua. Starting in verse 1, it said, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And it came to pass after three days that the officers went through the host, and they commanded the people, saying, when ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then ye shall remove from your place and go after it. Now, I want to pause there for just one second because, folks, there's a, there's a whole lot of message right there. When you shall see the ark of the Lord, go after it. Now, if you know anything about the ark of the covenant where God had kept his law, and the New Testament shares some additional information about Aaron's rod that it budded, the pot of manna, and, and things that were contained there. The top of the Ark of the Covenant was known as the mercy seat. The Bible says that the mercy seat is the actual footstool of God. He puts his feet on the mercy seat, or the one in heaven, and we know that it was patterned after that. And so it's interesting to think that here Joshua's being sent on this mission to conquer, being led by mercy. And they said when they saw mercy, or the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, which was on top, go after it. Go after it. Folks, when we see this gift of mercy, God calls us not but to go forward and conquer with mercy. Continuing on, in verse 4, it says, uh, or excuse me, verse 3, or 4, excuse me, yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near unto it, that you may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed this way heretofore. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So Joshua is telling them, or 
tells him about what's going to happen. And he says, you know what you need to do? You need to sanctify yourselves. Set yourselves apart. Prepare yourselves because what God is about to do is going to be wonderful. It's going to be amazing. But you need to set yourselves apart. You know, folks, I believe God wants to do some powerful works in our lives. But I wonder if many of us are willing to sanctify ourselves. Now, I'm not saying you can do that on your own strength. But this thing called being a believer is not just simply saying, I love the Lord, or simply posting something on Facebook. It is about setting yourself apart unto a life filled with following what God asks us to do. A disobedient soldier in the ranks in the military is worthless and will bring down the whole unit. God doesn't need perfection. He needs committed soldiers that take the charge seriously. And therefore, sanctifying, setting ourselves apart, is what is a precursor to seeing the wonders of God. Continuing on in Joshua, jumping over to Joshua chapter 5. If you knew anything about Joshua chapter 4, you know the rest of the story that took place before chapter 5. They went and went over the uh, River Jordan, and the Lord, he, uh, he parted the water. You remember the Levites? They took the ark up. They stood there. The Lord separates the Jordan so that the children of Israel could go through on dry ground. Then he takes 12 men out to get 12 uh, stones there to set them up as a memorial. So when people see this thing that had happened, they see this memorial, they will know that God had parted the Jordan River, and they knew what had happened right there. You, you might have remembered that song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Love that song. And it says in one part, it says, here I raise my Ebenezer. That's what they, that was an actual Ebenezer that they set up, a reminder, something that, that people would know what God had done. And I wonder sometimes when, when the world looks at us, folks, do they, do they see what God's done in our lives? Do they see what the Lord has done in your life? Is your life a living Ebenezer, a testimony? Is it, is it something when someone sees it, they know what God has done? And so they left that marker there. And in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 1, it, it continues. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of the Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them anymore because the children of Israel. God had already pre-sent out a warning. They knew that the Lord was with the children of Israel, and God was preparing this land for this great invasion that Joshua was about to do in there. Do you know that God, when we are serving the Lord and doing, he actually preps the land before we even get there. If you've never read it, there's an old book called Eternity in Their Hearts. Um, it was written by the same man who wrote the book, The Peace Child, about the most amazing stories of, of missionaries who had went into the most God-depraved places that had no knowledge of the living God, and had found out the Lord had been prepping them all along. Even stories of one day a man would come with a black book and restore their relationships back with God. Hallelujah. 
God prepares the way. In verse 2, and at that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel. You see, this might sound like not the greatest thing to hear. And when you first read it, you're thinking, why would he want to circumcise people twice? Well, that's not really what was happening. You see, the children of Israel that had gone into the wilderness, that, that had gone, they, they had come out of Egypt. They had been circumcised. But while they were having children inside of, the, or excuse me, in the wilderness, they had not been circumcising them. So here Joshua has 40,000 men of war. And, and the Lord's saying, listen, I need them circumcised. That was a sign given back during the time of uh, Abraham. And the Lord wanted to finish this sanctification process of circumcision. And if you know anything about the New Testament, you know the truth about circumcision, and when, especially when it deals with the heart. And so he wants them to circumcise the people. And, it, and, and in verse 5, it says, Now all the people that came out were, un, were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. Now from a military standpoint, folks, could you imagine how Joshua must have looked? Here he's leading 40,000 men of war, you know, going to battle. They're getting ready to go against Jericho, okay? So this is a serious city with walls that are um, absolutely unbelievable. And so he, you know, a few days before this all, a few weeks before this happens, you know, the Lord says circumcise it. If you're looking at Joshua as a military leader, you're like, hold on a second. You just crippled your army of 40,000 men before you were getting ready to go battle against a place that was bigger than you can handle yourself. See, the Bible says after they were circumcised, they actually went back in their tents until they were healed. I mean, it wiped them out. These people were very humbled before they went up to war against Jericho. Joshua's heading to war and 40,000 warriors, and he breaks them. The Lord breaks them right before battle. You see, God was sanctifying the people, preparing them for war. A war, as we will see as we go through this, they were in no wise ready to take upon themselves. A war that the strength of their flesh would not be powerful enough to overcome. Nothing will take the fight out of 40,000 warriors, folks, quicker than what took place right there with Joshua and circumcising the 40,000 men. God was sanctifying and setting apart the people. Verse 10 says, And, and the children of Israel encamped at Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. You see, the children of Israel had been used to being in the wilderness to getting spoon-fed, okay? 
They were getting spoon-fed every day. Now, of course, on the Friday before the Sabbath, they would get a double portion, so they didn't have to worry about collecting anymore. But the Lord was taking care of everything they needed. It was falling from the skies onto the ground. There was no worry. They didn't need to trust because it showed up every single day. You see, folks, when things happen all the time, nonstop, they're always there. We get to a place many times of a lack of thankfulness and a lack of trust. And so God's sending them into this battle, freshly circumcised, and he takes away their daily ration of bread. It didn't mean the Lord wasn't providing for them, but now they were going to have to trust that God was going to come through. Because that manna, that bread from heaven, it wasn't falling every day like it used to. So here's Joshua. They're circumcised. There's no more food. They're going against against Jericho. This doesn't look like a very smart move at all. You see, when you're getting dominoes delivered every day to the front door, and that's kind of what it was like. It was delivered. They simply walked out, picked it up, and came back. It was always there. I believe the Lord was trying to send a very clear message to the children of Israel. It's time to grow up. It's time for you to begin to believe and trust in me. Sometimes we got to get off the milk, and we need to take upon the strong meat. We need to be ready for war. And war, those who fight war well, those who have seen battle, have learned how to trust in those whom they serve with. And the one who we serve with, that's the Lord. You see, I've been in the Marines. I know what it's like in the military. And I can tell you right now, if you've got an opportunity to go with war, to war with some fresh second or first lieutenant just out of OCS who's been to all the war colleges and they've done all the military schools growing up, they've got all the degrees, or you want to be led by that crusty old sergeant who's done two or three tours. I'm telling you right now, you're going to pick that old crusty sergeant who knows when to get your head down and when to, when to move. That's the guy you want to go with. Not somebody that's got simply a head knowledge. But you want to go with somebody who has the experience. And nothing brings about better experience than when you're in the middle of the war. But God still needed to do one thing before they were ready. He had humbled the military. He had humbled the army. But he needed to talk with Joshua a little bit first. You see, God had promised Joshua that he was going to magnify him just like he did with Moses. He was going to to do things just like he did so that the people would understand that God was with Joshua just like he was with Moses. And if you know anything about the name of Yeshua, that comes from Yehoshua. That comes from Joshua. And so you can see the, all the, t- the types and antitypes that are going down through here. And so he, he wants to show him this, but there's, Joshua is still just a man. And sometimes when you're, when you're pumped up and when you're, when you're, when you're, you're, you know, you're in something, you, you, you need a check. You, you, you think you're always trusting, but sometimes the Lord needs to check us, no matter how good we think we're doing. So God sends out a, a, a man of God whom the Lord 
you know, had set up Joshua, he has an experience in chapter 13. It kicks off, and I want to read it to you. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Now, I want you to listen to that very closely. Now, I don't know about you, okay, but if someone comes up, a warrior, with the sword drawn, I'm going to be on my battle guard and ready. But a very confident Joshua walks up to this man with the sword drawn and says, you with us or are you with them? See, Joshua had no idea who he was talking to because he was very self-confident in what he was doing right then. And so, you know, he asked him, are you with us or are you, are you with our adversaries? And he said, nay, but as the captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, what saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place wherein thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. You see, that person here, Joshua, walked up with all the boldness and calm. Who are you? Are you with us or are you with them? Man's got his sword drawn. And he says, you better back. Hold on a second. You have no idea what you're doing. And get those shoes off your feet. Because right now, you are standing on holy ground. And when Joshua understood the presence of the Lord, he fell down and he worshipped. You see, there are many angels in the Bible, but there was only one angel of the Lord who was allowed to be worshipped. And I think we all know who that was. And he was there in front of Joshua. And all of a sudden, all that confidence of that general leading his military, leading right there, was standing right before him. He was humbled greatly, and he hit the ground, and he removed the shoes off his feet. You see, when God is leading the battle, when God is the one that is in charge, when God is the one preparing the people for holy war, it is only possible that war can be holy when it is God who is fighting for the army. You see, there are a lot of people who want to kill in the name of the Lord. But that doesn't mean God's in it. That's their own sick and twisted way of thinking. But when God is in something, it is truly holy war. Especially when he is one who is doing the fighting. You see, here he is sending out a freshly circumcised army, just cut off from their manna, against a city Jericho, whose walls they cannot conquer in themselves. You know the story of Jericho well, I'm sure. A city fully archaeologically proven, vindicated that the word of God was actually true. And it was a massive structure, up to 6.6 feet thick in places on the wall. 17 feet tall with another watchtower on top, 28 feet tall. And besides all that, there was a nine 
foot ditch dug out of solid rock 27 feet wide and people believed basically or, or what i was reading from different archaeological reports the way they're standing with the walls and then they believe there may have been a smaller lower wall behind there that they were basically looking at a four 40 foot four story impenetrable fortress in front of them that's what they were up against you can imagine what was going through the minds of this freshly humbled army. And God says to Joshua, all I want you to do is march around this place for six days, just once a day. But on the seventh day, I'm going to have you march around seven times. And then I'm going to have you blow those trumpets and shout. And we're going to bring these walls down. You see, God didn't need the might of the 40,000 Warriors that were there with Joshua. What God needed was a bunch of fully committed, sanctified believers who were willing to follow their God, mercy, into battle. Verse 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and donkey and the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she had, and ye, sh excuse me, all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. So God takes them around the city, and on the seventh day they go around seven times, and He shouts, and He blows, and God, God tears the city down, and He says, "I want you to go in there and destroy it, except for one, one people, one family, one person, and those around that person. I want you to save." You see, God didn't go into that city and decide he wanted to save, you know, the noble. He didn't want to save the president, the, 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 you know, the leader of the place, the, the, those who were more better or richer or holier than others. God says, I want you to go into this city with walls that you can't penetrate, that I'm going to tear down, and I want you to save that prostitute. That's the one that I want you to save. It's amazing how God is completely in the middle of this. He's torn the city down, and he says, the one person I want you to save is the lowest-looking person in the society. God could have saved anybody in there, but one woman who was looked upon worse than other people that had mercy on his people is the one that God wanted to save. You see, folks, we're involved in holy war right now. And God is looking at everything's going on, and he sees this prostitute who has a moment of humility and is willing to not cast the pearls before swine when she hid those spies. She cared about the things of God. Through all her filth and everything was messed up, and God rips that city down. And he says, I want you to save that person. I want you to save that person woman who everybody in this city thinks is nothing but a whore that's the one i want you to save 
That's exactly what God is calling us to do. In this hour, calling ourselves the remnant, he wants us to go out and find those who society says are unsavable. Trust me, God wants ever, anybody, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. But God is a specialist in saving those that are unsavable. You see, there is a holy war that is going on right now. A war, as many of you know right now, we are not prepared for, many of us. Okay? Let's just be honest. And God is getting ready to do something wonderful. If you've read the scripture, you know that the best wine is saved for the last. The greatest miracles are saved at the end of time. The biggest harvest is coming at the end. And God needs people that are willing to fight. God's going to do something wonderful. But many that call themselves believers are absolutely baffled at the pain and the affliction that they've been going through. It didn't make sense that Joshua would cripple his army at the Lord's command before battle. It didn't make sense that the Lord would cut off the daily manna falling from heaven. It didn't make sense, but it proved something to everybody, that God is much better at providing and doing than we will ever be. You see, the battle that we're waging right now, it is against the darkest of principalities. We're fighting to free the lost in the most abominable and disgusting, godless time in Earth's history since the flood. A time when they are saying you can now kill babies right up until they come out of the womb. And, of course, you know what the governor of Virginia said. And, unfortunately, I, I, I love this state, but I'm ashamed to say he's my governor you know, well, you can. We'll have a discussion even after the child goes out. Now he says it's for, you know, maybe adoption. But he's, I'm, you can take your walk back stuff. I'm not buying what he's saying. Sixty million legal abortions in America alone have been performed. Look up the statistics. In 2011, it was 51 million. Read all. Add the rest of the numbers together. We're about a 60 million legal. That doesn't even talk about the illegal abortions. A time when pornography is gripping our society and every form of sexual sin and perversion is rampant from the smallest of children to the oldest of our society. We live in a time when even Sodom and Gomorrah may blush at the debauchery of our society. And through all of this, God is calling us to war. All of this mess and disaster, God's saying, I still want to save the prostitutes. I still want to save the drug addicts, the drunkards, the poor, those who have messed up, those who have made promises and broken them and failed and done wrong. God is still wanting to save them. But so many times, those, us and the believers and the remnant are in churches, whatever. We're upset. We're angry. We're mad. We don't like the trials. We just like... We, you know, we don't like to go through the things like they did in Joshua's day when the Lord's trying to sanctify us. No, we're, we're fired up and angry. You see, Paul made it very clear when he said this in Romans chapter 2. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly. 
Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. You see, the Lord is trying to circumcise the heart and separate us from the reproach of Egypt like he did in Joshua's day. But we don't like it. Let's be honest. Many, I know, complain, where's God? Why is he silent? Why is he allowing this to happen? How can we be upset with God, though, folks, when many of our Bibles are closed and we hardly ever pray? How can we be upset when our knees are so soft and tender because we haven't spent any time on them? There is a war that's going on in the spirit realm for the souls of men and women, and God is ready to fight. But many that call themselves in the remnant or in the churches are still waiting around for somebody else to do it. Oh, when's the pastor going to do it? When are the leaders in church going to do it? When is somebody else going to do it? Waiting always on someone else while the world, our neighbors, and people we know are dying and going to hell, and nobody has the courage to say a word about it. We care more about ourselves than we care about the lost souls in this society. People and our families and our friends in this world are going to die without knowing the Lord. Do you think we could do something about it? Jesus said in Matthew 16, Verse 18, and I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, Jesus is saying, if he is the one who's building the church, if he's the one who's building up this remnant last day, that not even the very gates of hell can stop this church. You see, it doesn't matter that they were going against the walls of Jericho. It didn't matter that it was, they were impenetrable. It doesn't matter that you're facing the very gates of hell in your life. It doesn't matter that you don't have the money to pay your mortgage next month. It doesn't matter that you don't know where your next meal's coming from. Because if God is in this thing, he will provide. And he will make a way. But if you can't take a moment to tell somebody, about the love of Jesus. And I wonder what you're doing calling yourself a follower of God. Now, I'm not trying to shame you, but I want to tell you honestly, you've struck the lottery with salvation a billion times over. Time we share it with somebody else. The Bible says, that not even the gates of hell shall stop his forward progress. This is holy war, folks. It's a war for your neighbor. It's a war for your spouse. It's a war for your children, and God is ready to fight. My question is, are you ready to fight with God? Are you ready to get on his side and fight the battle with him? Not against him, with him. Are we willing to allow him to set us apart, to sanctify our lives, 
Listen, folks, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works lest any man could boast. But if you think, if you think for a moment that you can claim the de- that Jesus on one day and live like the devil the le- rest, you have deceived yourself. Paul lines it out clearly, says, be ye not deceived. And he says, these people are not going into the kingdom. It's not about works. It's about following what God says to do. You can't, you can't rely on your own works because God said he put them all in place before the very foundations of this world so that man could walk in them. That means every good work that you do, it comes from him. Is reaching the lost really worth it? Jesus thought it was worth it when he paid a ransom for you with his own life. Are we willing to serve the Lord? I think he's worth it. I was talking to my dad. I was kind of in a hurry, and he said, son, I want to share with you a story. And I was like, oh. Okay, all right. So, uh, you know, I listen. Dad starts telling me this story. He says, son, listen. My dad used to be a PA, your physician's assistant, years ago, and he had made a diagnosis on a man. They said he had Alzheimer's. The man was angry. He was upset. He, he you know, he, 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 he would be upset, too, if you couldn't remember anything, and he was very, very, very angry. And so dad was examining him, and he said, he told his daughter, you know, I, I think, I don't think your father actually has Alzheimer's. I think he has a lack of blood flow to the brain. And Dad explained to me how he diagnosed it. I don't really remember. And so they sent him to a specialist, to somebody who could look at this farther. And it turns out that's exactly what it was. And they were able to make the do surgery or whatever they needed to do to save this man's life. And so a while later, Dad sees the daughter, and she thanks him for giving uh, – their father's life back and he's so nice and gentle you know and he's so happy and everything and so dad was telling me how he was hearing that he was very happy but there was a little a little bit of pride up in him because of what he had done he had made that diagnosis and he you know he kind of felt proud about it and so a little while later he sees this man dad's walking down the street and he sees this guy the guy comes up to him he's like doctor doctor he's like you know um you, you saved my life and he's just going crazy and he, he takes my dad by the hand and he starts walking him literally down the road and stopping people and saying this man saved my life and, and dad said he was embarrassed but at the same time he was proud and so a little while later they see him again in a restaurant and dad said he gets up he comes over and he and he and he starts to tell everybody about what's What's going on and how this man, my father had saved his life and he starts parading my dad around this restaurant, introducing these people to my dad that that has no idea and saying he saved my life. And so dad's telling me this story and I can hear it in dad's voice. He says, son, it took me 30 years to get the message. He was filled full of pride at the time, but it was the Lord was trying to show him this is what he had done for him that god had saved my father's life and he shouldn't be ashamed to pray jesus around and show people what the lord had done for him 
It took 30 years to get that. Do you understand what the Lord's done for us? Jesus paid everything. And he's not willing that any should perish. And though it seems like many times we're up against the very walls of Jericho, sometimes we just got to shout and proclaim the word of the Lord. Just like in Joshua's days, just like when the psalmist said in Psalm 24, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. The Lord is ready to storm the very gates of hell. He's ready to save the prostitutes. He's ready to deliver those who are in bondage. And God is wondering if you would be willing to have your life sanctified so that you can be an effective soldier in his war. Because this is a holy war for the lost souls of men and women. And we are engaged and we call ourselves the remnant. If we sit idle, we are liars. We must tell people and share with them the good news. Make a friend with somebody. Let them get to know you and share with them the gospel of Jesus. You don't have to beat them to death. But get take time to know somebody and tell them what the Lord has done for you in your life. This is holy war. This is what God has been asking us to do. I want to share with you a story that happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I had been asked to come and speak at a church. It was a rather large bilingual Hispanic church. And they had once a month a unity uh, service together where they brought in their English and Hispanic um, speaking members. And we you know, speak through a translator and everything. Wonderful place. I really, spirit of the people was amazing there. So I had been under a lot of pressure at work lately. I had been struggling hard with everything that goes on in trying to run a company. And I was going to speak this message and, and preach, and, and, and I, I'm thinking to myself, This is going to be terrible. This is going to be horrible. I, this message isn't going to make any sense through translation. I've spoke through translators a lot. And I'm thinking this is going to be terrible. And not only on top of that, one of my employees was there from work. We had to go up to a job in a different state, and I took one of my employees with me. And so... He was not obligated, but he came with me. And so he doesn't have really any religion of himself. He was born Muslim. He, he'd been to a Christian church before, but he just never did anything. And so here I've got my employee there who I would love to, to have a relationship with Jesus. It's his first time going to a church with me ever. And I'm sitting there thinking this is going to be the worst thing ever. 
I had let the pressures of work get to me. And so I'm going up that morning, and this is like this is going to be like a plane flying at 20,000 feet. Cut the engines. It's going down into a nosedive. And so I got up, and I began to speak. And as I began to share this message, I began to realize that God decided that that day he was going to do something. And as I began to watch what was taking place, I saw conviction start to come out over the crowd. Now, you've got to remember, I'm, this is not me. I'm not doing this right now. I'm a disaster. I'm a mess, right? I let my work get to me. I'm not prepared like I should be. I'm, a, I'm about as weak as could be right at this moment. I don't, I don't have anything good to offer. I'm like the, the circumcised army going against the walls of Jericho, and this is going to be a disaster. And I see the Lord starting to do something. And as I realized the Lord was beginning to do something, I got to the end of this message, and I knew, Frank, you need to make a call. Make a call. And so I got to the end of the message, and I, and I made a call. And I called, if you want to come forward and receive Jesus. And when I made that call, this man gets up, this young man, he's Hispanic, dark complexion, white bleached dreadlocks. And he gets up out of his pew, and he takes off running towards the front of that church. Tears going down his face. And I began to break and cry, and I looked over at the pastor, and he's weeping in tears. And I watched people start getting up, and I saw conviction fall upon this place. And people are weeping and they're coming forward and we're crying and I'm watching God do something that I was in no wise prepared for. I had nothing in my flesh to cause this to happen. And God ends up working a miracle and saving lives. And, I, and, and when I come to find out the story of this man, and many people were coming forward, but this one man, something was different. And the pastor said, we have been praying for this guy. They had been going to war for him. They had been praying that God would save this man. And that day the Lord decided, I'm breaking down the walls of Jericho. This man is coming forward to receive Jesus. And I saw the Lord do something wonderful that day that I in no wise had the strength to do in and of myself and God let me understand perfectly that day and he didn't even need me loved me and he allowed me to see him move in a powerful way as I watched conviction fall upon a church and you know what the crazy thing was it was me who needed to see the Lord move I'd gotten so bogged down in work. I'd gotten so bogged down in running a business that I didn't realize how bad I needed to see the hand of the Lord move and remind me that He still loves me 
and he still has work for me to do. And there's nothing sweeter in a believer's life than seeing people come to Jesus Christ for salvation. I'm telling you, God can do the same thing for you. The end of that day, I couldn't believe it. There was my employee. I don't know what his decision will be. And I want him to be the best employee he can ever be, and he's an amazing employee. But more than anything, I want him to know Jesus Christ. Because a paycheck will come and go, but salvation is eternal. In his first experience, I couldn't believe that God would do something like that. I was so thankful. And I believe he planted a seed that day in his heart. What is God wanting to do for you right now? What's God wanting to do through you right now? Are you willing to let him set you apart? Are you willing to allow him to sanctify your life? To do something wonderful? He wants you to be there with him. I want you to take the time to get serious with God. Begin to pray. Start to study. And start asking the Lord what He wants you to do because He's about to do something wonderful. This is Brother Frank on the Remnant Call saying to everybody, good night and shalom.